Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest, sound designer Johnny Byrne, joins us to talk about their work on Note. Please be warned there are heavy spoilers in this episode. So sit back, relax, and let's join the conversation with Johnny. Hi, Johnny. Thank you for joining me today. Hello. Good was, to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I was going to make a, um, a microphone pun, but I just thought that'd be like not a great way of introducing myself. Um, we can try and work back to that somewhere near the middle or end. You know what? I've got the perfect place. Once you give a really good answer, I know exactly what I'm going to say. So I'll save it for that. I'll watch out for it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we're here to talk to you today about Nope that's just been released uh, in well it's been out for a couple of months now in the in the US and recently in the UK you created the sound design uh, for the film which I'm really excited to jump into because it's a very it's a very sensory film and you get sucked into it it's not just the visuals that look incredible but it's also the sound so before I jump into my first question I think I might go to the end with my last question. And how have you found the audience response to the film? Well, I mean, I'm really, I guess I'm really delighted that so many people have have, um, found it the magnificent spectacle of an achievement that I know that Jordan was really trying to achieve. And, you know, I think it's an incredible film and it's one that is, you know, is such a good advertisement for getting people back into a, a cinema because obviously with with IMAX but even with without the IMAX just being in being in a big room with a bunch of people and an enormous screen and seeing that astounding cinematography and particularly those night shots and the ability to 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 hear that immersive soundscape and and be absorbed and I do think it's a kind of you know is when I've watched it I thought wow I haven't seen stuff like this before so anyway I think back to your question I, I meandered a bit I you know I'm yeah I'm delighted I think I see it as being received really well, and certainly critically, and and that um and that I'm delighted that that you know Jordan has scored a hit with it, and you know and obviously personally and slightly selfishly I'm you know thrilled that that people react so well to the sound because we spent so long getting it you know even in preparation long before the shoot discussing how we were going to achieve it so that kind of paid off I would say. Mm. I saw the film in Dolby Atmos and. Yeah, there's certain scenes that I'll talk later on where you're, where the soundscape and the sound design really make you want to sink into your seat, and <laughs> it's just the the terror or that your mind creates from the sound. And yeah. I think it, it, this happens with horror as well. It's the it's always the sound that makes it so much more, so much more, so much worse because it's your mind creating an image rather than actually seeing the image on screen. Yeah, and it's just... that thing of the power of suggestion, isn't it? It's, Jordan was quite keen on the idea that he, he could never provide an image that was as scary as the one that people could imagine in their own head. And so long as we give them the the, the template for that with a wonderful soundscape, then you're always going to imagine, imagine something that's more personally horrific to you than anything that a film director who didn't know how you grew up would, would sort of would, would put in that place. But then also knowing how to tap into those to the audience members thoughts and just getting into that sort of more the the hot you know the horror of your mind uh, without you realizing it and then until it's too late when you think oh no i've just had that thought oh oh no what's what's around the corner what's going on it's like oh no but just to go back to the beginning how did the project come about and what made you decide to take it on i was where were we We were october 2020 and I an email from someone on on Jordan's team whom I'd never met, and they uh, they just wanted to check that I was the guy who did the sound on a film under the skin that was directed by Jonathan Glazer, a 2012-2013 movie that used sound particularly well. And I confessed that I was the person who did the sound on that. And I think they'd done the research actually because I spoke to the film producer of that film who said that they'd. Uh, check me out but anyway I yeah so I had a call from from ostensibly Jordan uh, in October 2020 and then 
I got sent a script and we had a Zoom call a week later that was, yeah, I mean, for me, just sort of extraordinary. I, I have been a huge fan of his work. Obviously, Get Out is just such an incredible movie and one that, you know, people like me would aspire to work on or with a director like that. And, and I've long wanted to work on, uh, you know, on a big American studio picture. So yeah, I had a call in 2020, read the script, spoke with Jordan for a bit, and then we emailed and texted over the period of a couple of months um, with a bunch more Zoom calls. And, and I sent him various ideas for script revisions and, and, and a little smorgasbord of 10 different sound design ideas for how the monster the in in the film could come across or more specifically how we would denote the presence of of the alien by the absence of sound and all these kind of things and um and yeah so i think at some point during that i was offered the job and i totally snapped it up because that <laughs> it was either that or um cleaning out the garage and i thought yep i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna go for it but yeah no i i was absolutely thrilled to be to be invited to work on it <laughs> just hearing that i think the idea of like ah i'm busy sorry i've got the <laughs> got all these chores i have to do need to get the halloween decorations out um, yeah you know there's got... covid on as well right i mean we you know i can't go out at the moment so i've got to stay in i've got all these box sets that i've got to work through so <laughs> <laughs> it really feels um because the shoot was sort of began in june last year and but the whole of the first six months of the year were a long run of I basically switched to Los Angeles time and I would start work at about 4 PM and work, you know, until 2 AM or something like that. And, and join in on all the various meetings with all the different heads of department and figuring out how we we're going to shoot it, how we were going to portray the alien and more specifically with Jordan, you know, ideas for the actual monster sounds itself. And to the point that I'm, I had to put a soundproof door on my home studio because my children were starting to complain about all the late night monster sounds that would be giving them nightmares. <laughs> that I would be saying, Hey Jordan, what do you think of this? <laughs> At midnight. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the, uh, well, I guess that's a great way to sort of test out on your kids what sounded yeah. best. And you know, even though they'll, like they'll thank you later on when they're in therapy and they were like, look, <laughs> dad was creating something special. We just didn't realize it. But I want to go back to as well. You In the first initial meetings and discussions, you created sounds for Jordan to listen to. Where, where do you even start when you create something that's just words on a page? Because is it just sort of testing thing, the waters of what somebody is going to expect from you? Or is it more of a... Or is it just getting a feel of what you what foundations you can build? I'm not quite sure how to answer that. That other than predominantly, I always try and think like the film, like a filmmaker who happens to be doing the sound. So <clears throat> rather than trying to get too excited about any particular sounds, I I think it's really important to focus on what would be best for the film and how to progress the narrative and how to make something that will make the film outstanding. So. I think I'm answering your question. If I say I was trying to provide him with sounds that I thought were on the one hand, totally unusual and therefore, you know, wow. And, and on the other hand, incredibly narratively appropriate sort of thing. As a creative yourself, you're, I guess you hear one thing and someone else hears another thing, but when it's a very genre based film, sci-fi horror, I guess you want to start creating a certain Sound, sound language um, from the get-go and I know there was I was reading another interview that you did with Screen Rant where one of the ideas of sound that was created is is around wind and the idea of using the wrong kind of wind which if you talk to a non non-filmmaking person or an average member of audience I think they'll kind of scoff at the idea mm. um, just because you think wind sounds the same it could be a bit it could be a bit faster if, if if there's a lot of wind or it is just it's just there i don't think you really realize it but how do you go about creating the right kind of wind and like how do you go about inserting the wind into the scenes so that it, it is seamless i mean you're right in what you say about people not yeah, you know non-filmmakers and my mother said to me what do you mean you do the sound on films they sound all right to me 
and so I think it's um, <laughs> it's a tough one to sell anyone. But but fortunately for me, sound can be incredibly manipulative, and and it really is this, the the sort of cipher for how you decode a you know the images that you're being given in many ways because it's um you know because you have so much it, it's such a hot wire to the to the you know to the uh, more cortisol based parts of the brain basically and so how do you go about it um i think we were just trying to um in terms of we were very much trying to make sure that we'd establish what is normal and then create the wrong kind of wins by then breaking the rules of that so you would have an environment with a particular atmosphere and the and and then we would change that or for example have just have a wind that that has a little gust and and abruptly stops in a very unnatural way and sort of apropos of nothing as it were like there is nothing uh, with nothing visual to suggest why this was happening and we were hoping that that that's uh, juxtaposition would present the alien because you would you know, you'd be doing something that would basically sound wrong. And I think, yeah, so, so that's what we were trying to achieve is, is, is how to, I, I went out and I recorded an awful lot of various different wind sounds, different speeds. You know, I live down in Brighton and there's, um, the South Downs are up, uh, you know, a couple of miles away from my house and it's always windy up there. So, but all you can stand in different little gullies and amongst trees and record some very different sounding things and, and. So to have an open plane where OJ is standing and suddenly have a wind that at one point sounds just like the sea and quite soft and lulling and then becomes a whistling scream, um, again, with nothing visual to suggest what's happening, would obviously be a wrong kind of wind that suggests, particularly in a film where the audience has learnt pretty early on that the details and the sound are important, that would suggest that there's a narrative thing going on. You set up the next question perfectly about the scream in the wind because I think the first time you notice that is when OJ's horse has run away and OJ's gone after the after the horse. Ghost. Uh, yeah, ghost. Thank you. And you do hear the scream of another horse in the distance. And mm. I think we've all had a moment of like that in our lives where it's been the dead of night and sometimes you hear something and you think. Did I hear that correctly? Because I don't live, I live a kilometre from a train station. And I think sometimes in the dead of night, you can hear the locomotive train mm. and the horn. And that's unusual because in the day, the, the, the level of background noise would, would not permit that. But at night, there's a different environment and you suddenly it becomes an, un, an odd thing that you would hear it. And the, that's kind of just made me realise as well that the bigger set pieces other than I think after, like the first half of the set pieces, a lot of it happens at night, which I guess comes down to the alien itself kind of coming from being a predator and hiding and then slowly come, being more comfortable in the environment around them. But the just before I go on to talk about the sound of the design of the um, jean jacket, I kind of want to understand as well what like creating the lands the sound of the landscape for the ranch because with night and day there would be, it would be slightly different. So day, there'd be more going, as you said, the background noise, so there'll be a lot more, what is it? You'd have a lot more, the machinery and other things happening in the ranch, drowning out sounds. Because you're in such a big landscape, how do you make that sound interesting to accompany the image on the screen? I think, yeah, I, th I think in the, in the daytime shots, there is a lot more going on. And certainly there's a lot more dialogue as well. And, and we, we did deliberately have the, the the whole backgrounds and atmosphere louder in the daytime than it ever was at night so when when you do come to the nighttime shots you sort of drop off a cliff volume wise and that really makes you lean in and jordan was he he once expressed to me this feeling he had as a child outside his house once when he was his parents were not there and he was you know probably only 10 feet from his front door but but he was outside and it was rural and you just feel like you're in a completely different environment and he was like you know can we achieve that somehow so i think a lot of it is is by making contrast however you can to to make it um come across very differently from what you've had before and a lot of what we were using was 
volume and a lot of it was subtle things that I think our caveman brain um, probably picks up on like every, every nighttime shot does begin pretty much always with cicadas but when bad stuff happens they stop chirping and and the often the wind will drop when jean jacket comes close and I think there's um I think we're just programmed as humans to detect danger in sound more you know on a on a, on a fast cortex level than much quicker than we are on images so so yeah nighttime's an easy one for making people scared isn't it yeah yeah i would say so um <laughs> i just think your senses are heightened i guess at night because you're relying if you can't see with your eyes you're relying on your ears more than anything to help you if you're going for a walk somewhere but to be that first sort of point of call if something jumps out or if you hear twigs snapping yeah. um but there's also with lights um can blur your vision um at the same time so you're kind of relying on hearing that car before seeing it i mean that's what one of the main things that really paid off is I spent a long time down at the actual set itself in in August last year, recording sound in the day and at night. And at night, it was very obviously more much quieter. The wind in the daytime was enormous because the heat would really pick up and drive an enormous howler down down the valley most of the time. But at nighttime, it was really quiet. And and there was there were a lot of animals, you know, coyotes and owls and all sorts of stuff. And, and it's those, yeah, it's those kind of things that your brain wants to know. What is that? You know, what's that wood? What's that twig snapping? You know, where, what, what kind of an animal is that that I'm, <laughs> that I'm hearing? But yeah, the, all the things that went into the night shots were things that were recorded out in Santa Clarita. You know, when you were yourself out there at night, because you've got your, uh, you've got a microphone and headphones on, and I'm guessing the sound is amplified. Did that ever creep you out? Yeah, I mean... My, a lot of my summer holidays and, you know, all the school holidays as a young kid, I used to go up and stay in my uncle and aunt's house in Scotland that was enormous. And it, it had long corridors that would be dark and unused with bedrooms that were never um, occupied. And, and it brought back all of that fear of starting to walk down a corridor and really wanting to run really fast. <laughs> so yeah, totally. And when you, I mean, I, and I was wearing the same headphones that you're wearing now. And as you know, they, you know, the, the detail of them is incredible. And when you've got a shotgun microphone and you, as you sweep it around, you can hear enormous, you know, if, if there's an insect 50 feet away, you'll hear it in a massive detail and that kind of stuff, as well as trying to pick your feet through, scuffy dirts and potholes in the dark is yeah yeah i was super scared i mean there was a security guard but <laughs> but but even so i was you know it's a big few miles wide film set basically that i was exploring no it's just not the same when the security because they're they're the people who have the um softest walk so really <laughs> the ones that creep up and scare on you when you don't realize it have happened to me once or twice yeah maybe um, the twig snaps we hear in the film are actually the security guard probably they are to <laughs> <laughs> go back to jean jacket that i mentioned earlier and how i feel like each each act uh jean jacket's broken down the, the sound of jean jacket's been broken down differently so i feel like the first act creeping to the second act he's a predator snoop you know hiding around snooping around i think we we do you kind of not necessarily hear him in the first first few minutes of the film but you this is just a theory so i don't know if, i don't know if this has been confirmed but you, you, when keith david is killed on screen i feel like that was gene jacket there uh regurgitating items out that were stuck that he that he couldn't digest from the hikers that went missing sounds but, like a credible theory to me okay I'll, I'll take it i'll uh i'll take that but you we see in those moments that it just there's pure silence but you can still hear uh, when things are shooting from a, from the sky at quite a fast pace that it feels like bullets are being rained on them but then whilst you get to the second act the jean jacket becomes more comfortable with the environment but also people looking at him and seeing him and then in the third act it's just as a peacock in full flight, <laughs> don't care. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna look just, at me, guys. Yeah, look at me. I'm, I'm ready. This is my summer body. I'm ready. 
but where do you begin with creating the sound for jean jacket and then sort of progressively building it up and up but then also not make it because it's a, a spaceship at the same time not making it sound silly again i was i was lucky enough to be part of the kind of the early conversations with uh, a guy john professor john debury who is who's a um, fluid mechanics uh, professor at um, uh, university in california and he um and we were all discussing how this thing may take flight and and it became pretty obvious early on despite my enormous desire to put big whooshing noises on whenever jean jacket would fly overhead particularly in that one it was like no it's a predator it's not going to make any sound or you know it wouldn't be able to have any dinner um if people could tell it was coming but um so yeah in the when keith david has his unfortunate death actually just at that moment there is a whistle of wind and um and and you do faintly hear a scream and that's the first the first clue perhaps but i think that's more of a second viewing thing and then and and again when uh the ghost is abducted where are we there about 20 25 minutes in there's really the only presence we're hearing of jean jacket is is again the is is of the prey is is of the horse that's being abducted and it's screaming and and later on we come to realize that not only are the screams that we're hearing that could possibly have been wind uh, but now we're starting to understand them more as a human scream but but they are the you know the the trap victims inside jean jacket and then we understand that that jean jacket is perhaps you know using this sound perhaps even mimicking and mocking us with with this sound and amplifying it um you know we looked at how in the world of, of birds and how many you know the lyrebird and all these uh, uh parrots and macaws and stuff can can actually quite capably mimic sound and so there was a lot to go on in terms of the physics and science and biology of of what our monster could and couldn't do but yeah predominantly it, the the quest was definitely to have a, a credible alien and in that it was about having a, a a silent stalker and i think you know jordan was very keen that if it's if it was realistic then then it's more of an immersion because you believe it kind of thing i think i'm not sure if that completely answered your how did you go about it i think because as i recall correct i'm not sure but i'm i think when we when the initial script that I saw didn't have the sound of the victim screaming when the rainstorm, when Jean Jacket came over the house, that was that was something that we decided upon later. And 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 again, it was we were always thinking of Jean Jacket in terms of how for sound, in terms of how it would disturb the environment that it was in. So so the whole of that uh, real five, as I know it, but the <clears throat> the sequence from the Duke's claim abduction with the rainstorm. I, when Jean Jacket comes over the house, all of that was literally about how Jean Jacket would displace the rain and cause a, a, a waterfall that that hit the house and moved on as the as the edge of Jean Jacket above caused the waterfall to move. And and then it was only that later on when we sort of latched onto the idea of trapped victims inside and how to hear all those things that we realised that the yeah the presence of Jean Jacket wouldn't necessarily just be the, the disturbance. Of the environment but also jean jacket was certainly as intelligent as uh these orcas that i was reading about who now taunt sailing ships off the coast of spain by bashing their rudders and, and so jean jacket is quite capable of tormenting people by choosing to allow sound to be heard and particularly if it's horrific sound that's one of the moments where you're sitting in somewhere <laughs> with adobe atmos speakers and just hearing the wah, and just thinking, oh, it's like that shuddering of just pure terror and fear because you know that there's nothing you can stop it. They can't do, you know, there's anything. It just, there's the, the characters, they can't do anything about it. It just yeah. being sort of all this, every, all of this stuff is being regurgitated on top of them. And it just, it is just that sort of, I don't know, you, you kind of, close up a little bit because it is just that that oh witness yeah i've had it, a few it, people say to me how totally nauseated or panic-stricken they were you know some people have said how, how during that moment they wanted to leave the theater because they you know their anxiety was too high <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah 
good job on the yeah. sound. <laughs> and but, all of that was done without seeing the alien. You know, that's all the power of suggested image. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And again, just that that idea of not seeing alien and just that sound kicking in. And I, I don't think that scene probably doesn't even last that long, but because you're you're in that moment of just like wow this is uh this is quite a lot to take in it's yeah it's it does it does take you out quite a lot in terms of just like oh, it makes you shudder and yeah all i can say is good job um yeah and, and all the the different layers of um of all the voice stuff we did have we did have it initially more singular and then um diana who was the uh dialogue editor she yeah she gave us this really brilliant track of people who were at, at times screaming as if on a roller coaster and then at times it becoming more pain than that and and that as a sort of background within that whole thing to suggest we're not talking about a couple of people unhappy here we're, talk we're talking about a lot of people yeah i think that was particularly sickening as well i think that kind of does there are two other scenes that um create that um sound really well when makes you shudder um but i'll get onto that i've just got another it's more of a maybe it's a technical question it's kind of it involved jean jacket as well because when jean jacket does appear all the electrical equipment goes out so the electrical sounds being used so i guess the record player or the phone or and other items the sound gets sucked away and all you're sort of left with is that natural sound of the environment and you know the wind or hearing things that you might not want to hear what is the process of creating that sort of environment where because it's so loud with other with you know everyday noise that you don't want to suck the you know creating that moment of silence but not taking the audience out of the film that silence is so powerful it's um it, you know it, any silence like that is just naturally upsetting for <laughs> for people because it sounds like something's gone wrong we we even experimented with having the sound putting in a really horribly crackly electronic distortion noise in every speaker in the atmos so that it sounded like the theater itself had had a mal malfunction <laughs> kind of thing that you know the, the room you're viewing in but that um would have created us lots of quality control errors <laughs> but um but yeah, it, it's weird that, isn't it? The I think the main thing that's going on there is your brain filters out so much stuff all the time. And so when you're listening to, when you are anywhere and you think that there's no sound, particularly in the way that a non-filmy person would just think they're listening to. I, m I remember when I was at school once, the physics teacher um, did this experiment and he recorded the class for five minutes and he mentioned that he was going to do that and then didn't say anything else. And then after the five minutes, he played it back and he asked us beforehand to to say what other sounds we had heard apart from our voices. And it was an, it was incredible. There was a really loud airplane, a train, a, you know, dog barking, some other kids outside, all these things that your brain just completely shut out. So I think um, the main thing that's going on there is is you don't realize quite how noisy silence is and, until you hear true silence. And and that is very disconcerting because it doesn't really exist <laughs> in a in a normal world. Because when I used to go camping, you'd do sort of night guard work where you kind of just look after the camp whilst everybody's slept. Even then, as you said, there's no true silence. You hear pipes, you hear badgers, you hear maybe a rock tumbling down the the, the uh, leaves. But I think the probably the only time I probably heard true silence is when you do go into like a sound booth. And you have yeah, to yeah. check out your hearing and even that's quite daunting because it's just you hear the beep but do you hear the beep yeah yeah do you do i click too many times do i not click enough it's or, very strange um yeah it's, it's strange but it's just fascinating to sort of actually realize how much how much sound is around you naturally and also with with that particular event in the film once you've heard it the second time you also associate it with now oh dear the monster is nearby so there's a double hit of horror you know the your your visceral experience of the silence plus the 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 uh, intellectual understanding of the problem <laughs> and you're right you can you just it's uh, another it's another moment of foreboding dread of as you said he's close but the monster's close by it's like excuse my language you know shit's about to uh, get yeah. real 
we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are two scenes that I really sort of want to talk about as well. Again, I think we talk, there's the two scenes that come to mind that I really want to talk about is the scene where the kids play the prank on OJ. Yeah. Because that's another scene where it's not, it could have been a scene where it could have been full of silence, but I think you can hear a sprinkler going off in the background. And then also uh, moments of where the kids are pranking him, turning on the lights, making a little clicking sort of sound, um, making a little clicking sound to sort yep. of say, well, we're, we're here or actually we're over here. Because I can imagine when that was shot and you're looking at it in the edit, it's probably a very much a silent clip. When do you decide to start creating layers into the scene? And in terms of, I'm not sure if it was yourself who chose the click that the kids uh, made or if the kids made it themselves. But what sort of choice do you go about to create, not, not necessarily to create, but to specifically go for something like that rather than something a bit over the top? Yeah, I absolutely love that scene. And you're right, it, you know, it was... Uh, you know, it, it was filmed pretty mute, really. And um, there were sprinklers in shot to give a bit of sort of mist to the air, but they were certainly not, a, you know, a forefront thing of, of the envisaged soundscape. And initially it was uh, Michael Abel's made a really beautiful piece of horrific music that built up to the, you know, to the denouement of the scene. But but yeah, I was, we we played with the sprinklers and I was just aware what a, really interesting rhythm they could give and how much scope there was. And I was sort of like, please, Jordan, let me try a version of this scene where 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 it really is all just natural sound, because I think that will be a much more scary immersion because score is telling you what to think and can be brilliantly, you know, counterintuitive and all those things. But but for something like that, where it's very in the moment to have it as all understanding that you're hearing the real sound from the real scene, I think is a more is a much more visceral, scary, engaging immersion because because you just feel like you're really there. Um, so yeah, the we quickly learned that the sprinklers were could provide a rhythm and tension. And Brendan Feeney, one of my sound editors, did this brilliant um, combined quasi musical version of the sprinklers that overlaid and overlapped, imagining more than one sprinkler there. And yeah, and I just thought it when seeing that first alien kind of rise up, it'd be really great to hear it make a noise so that it's because when the, the second kid leans out the window, leans out the barn door, it would be brilliant to have a kind of repeat of that sound there. And um, yeah, and that was, my daughter was uh, watching something on TikTok, TikTok. It was a save the turtles thing. And there were people going, and I don't, you know, I don't know too much about it, but she was making that sound. And I was like, Oh, can I record that? And I, actually edited the s's out and just kept the k bit and then kind of closed the gaps and so it it she it was a kind of a weird k -k 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 sound and yeah so the whole of that scene is a sort is really a sound design composition in some way you know it's kind of it, it's very much moving towards delivering a shape and a and a crescendo kind of thing and there is a brilliant bit of score at the end of it but um yeah i don't know i i was um yeah, I was really excited when I saw that and thought, wow, you've got a big old echoey barn and and the opportunity to play sounds. The, the great thing about that clicking noise is you don't quite know what it is and it could be a kid doing it, but but equally, you know, it, it could be it could be score. I mean, who knows? And we did actually try, we got a, one of those voice changer sort of, you know, toy things and we imagined that the kids would have a mask and that they were saying, bitty, 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 you know, or making but putting in something that was so obviously a human pretending to be kind of ruined the scene. So, so it was a great opportunity to explore ideas where, where we could play with sounds that were clearly borderline. I don't know what that is and therefore allow the um, suspense, you know, the, to, to, to persist until the end of the scene. It's quite funny as well that an idea can come from something like TikTok and the, just the it's not it's not even a word it's not even a sound it's just something that's being projected and then being able to be manipulated to then create this a foreboding sound because i bet you your daughter probably was like oh yes no problem and then probably doesn't realize it's probably part of one of the scariest scenes of the film <laughs> yeah yeah no she's proud of it now showing it to her schoolmates <laughs> <laughs> it's like this hat's me that's me <laughs> yeah.
stand up, take a bow <laughs> through the film. <laughs> it's brilliant. I was um, I, I saw that film with an audience in Long Beach in like May or something last year, um, a few months before we finished, and we played it to a test audience, and it was just crazy seeing how the audience reacted. They were really on the edge of their seat, and there was like you know that kind of scared laughter that people do, and ah, and woo, and I was like, wow. My goodness, this scene's actually, you know, really like, like it's extraordinary. People, I was really taken aback by how well people were, were reacting to it because, you know, when you're that close to something, you, you don't know what it is you're dealing with necessarily. But yeah, what a scene. Well done, Mr. Peel. <laughs> I think as well, you know, when you say about people's reactions to it, you never know until people watch it. But then also whilst creating art, it's the idea of putting it out there sometimes not it's can be scary because you don't know what people's reactions are going to be like but i think the whole idea of bringing it all together and then once people sort of and you get that reaction i think you kind of i think you can kind of you know dust your shoulder off a little bit to be like yeah you know we we uh we nailed that scene yeah yeah exactly i think yeah we we did actually um after that screening i mentioned we i did some changes to it and put in a lot more banging from the kids and and a more obviously digital digitized human voice and all these things and and yeah jordan's quite rightly said no take it back to the long beach screening version that we had which was a more natural thing so uh, the reason i say that is in response to what you i mean thank god yeah he has vision and he really knows his audience and you were mentioning it earlier you know the the rhythm of scenes and how but yeah he really understands you know he has his finger on their pulse he really does he's I guess it comes from being a stand-up comic, but but it's extraordinary quite how well he knows how to keep, you know, how to move the rhythm of a scene and when when to deliver the moments and the beats. I guess having that stand-up, like being a stand-up comic, you'll be able to perfect the timing and knowing when, you know, when to hit your audience, when to sort mm. of step off and <laughs> when to sort of just drop something to keep catch them off guard. What would too much be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, and then knowing that, it's then it works out well. The other scene I wanted to talk about was the Gordy scene, which let's let's be honest, quite horrific, um, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I just, I just, I think that's the only way to describe it, and I think that it, I think that's the opening scene. So I'll have to correct myself from earlier, but because you have no idea what's going on, but then the brutality kind of sets the tone for the film, not necessarily with gore. Or you know, like it is gory what happens and the idea, but I think it sets the tone with the sound of the brutality and what you as audience members are gonna create in your mind. Because it is you you hear the you hear Gordy, you know, attacking someone, you hear the animalistic sounds that that, that Gordy's creating to the point where you think, like, what is going on? What is this random scene? And then you, you obviously have the images accompanying it, but if you see as an audience member, you see the blood, but then once you hear the sound, it amplifies it even more to think like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then once Jeb talks about the talks about the attack, like yeah. it's very it's very odd how it's juxtaposed that it's to him feels like a joke. It feels like a moment of triumph. But when you watch when you actually watch it and how how he's sort of just carrying away, it's like I the love total that opposite. Of, yeah, of how he's um it's like he's sort of misunderstood the whole he's he hasn't processed the trauma he's he's um i think that's one of the you know the meta things about he he's uh he he's living off the back of the spectacle of what happened to him without without doing the right thing for his subconscious and processing exactly what happened that day hence having a a glass box with an upturned shoe in it as if that was the most important thing that happened as opposed to just being some kind of a bad miracle kind of thing. But, mm, and the idea of a bad miracle is basically that that event but what i think what's because of the brutality of the scene and the sound that's created i've read somewhere that you use vegetables to create the sound of him peeling the skin off the actress's face uh, whose name escapes me mary joe sophie koto for the actress but yes but <laughs> <laughs> lots of trade of thought sorry um the but even that it's because because it's also amplified by jeb's breathing 
do you start off in the script reading through and building up the suspense and the brutality of it or is this a discussion that's happened early on and you go from there and you're sort of left to it yeah so that scene well i mean gosh it's it's awful isn't it <laughs> in watching that it's obviously i read that script and i when i read the script i didn't quite realize how much jordan was going to use and Hoyt were, were going to use such a clever camera blocking to to obscure the true visual horror and that was actually i think that was one of the first few days of the shoot so that was filmed in i think june last year and most film directors that i've worked with don't want to see any some don't even want to see any rushes during the shoot but certainly they wouldn't be interested in here's something from post-production even though you're only a third away from the shoot but jordan was like oh can you get that to johnny and you know show him that shot and let's put some sound on it so when i came to los angeles and, and joined the shoot about you know in in the in july or whatever last year we went to the i, I got jordan down to the mix stage at universal for an afternoon and we just played with that scene you know like a, a, a full sort of two months before he'd even finished the shoot and and it it really taught me an awful lot about what he was trying to achieve with the film and quite how how clever it was going to be with sound yeah totally i i, I didn't get that it was going to be so much the power of suggestion even despite having read the script and been delighted at how many times the word sound appeared in in the reading of the script and all that kind of stuff but yeah so i learned that we were going to be very clever and and in my overexcited, enthusiastic sound designer way i ladled on all sorts of horrific <laughs> and and jordan was like no dude <laughs> play it cool and and we we soon realized that if you know, you, if you, we took 90% of the initial rendering out and of, of sound that I did and realized pretty quickly that an individual crunch or an individual specific, like you say, peeling sound is way, way more powerful than hearing a lot of stuff at once because, you know, the brain's only going to paint one picture at a time. And, and, and so, you know, that, that was where we ended up just having actually a very few short sounds that in themselves are uh well i mean in reality they're vegetables but, but over, over the image of what we're watching they become individually painting a picture of of the horror that you are imagining yeah yeah i just thought the the i think that will always be the it's probably seen that if i if i was watching in dolby atmosphere again it would be sort of just like maybe skip it just because it's just like oh but then it's also very key to the film so you kind of have to you stick with it um and i think the added part of the breathing of jeb you feel like he does when you're watching it and no, it's totally. just... it, it becomes as soon as you come around the corner and you cut to dupe's perspective from under the table and um that and that breathing is actually yeah that's my daughter as <laughs> doing the and and it's it's surprising it's surprising how much you can say through breathing without words isn't it you know about his mental state basically and and all the everything he's taking in so yeah it's uh it is you're, you're absolutely right it's it's an awful scene and and the um and, and it does work very well in dolby atmos we had the breathing back in, and naturally normally breathing would be on the front wall you know center speaker behind the screen but for all the perspective stuff the the breathing was coming as if we were the breather and so you'd hear it in in the surrounds around the wall and um somewhat slightly with the higher frequencies of the breath coming through the ceiling speaker and as if uh, a reflection off the table that he was sitting on and, and then uh, gordy is kind of over there and it's only when towards the end of the scene that gordy approaches us that suddenly the sound of him comes all the way around all the speakers and yeah so it's yeah it's hideous in atmosphere isn't it yeah sorry no no don't worry <laughs> I, it's, it's great yeah, do you know what it, i think it was great I really enjoy it's not the right word, but I've really, you know, very immersive and very effective. And yeah. yeah, that's perfect. Effective. And it's done, it's done its, its job. Just want to go to my penultimate question. I think with Michael Abel's score, there seems to be, I it was reading that somebody noticed that it's sort of, there's certain threat levels that in the way that he's playing it and, and how it sort of in, intensifies from that. So you will have, as the film goes on, the score kind of gets faster and creates a higher threat level. Now, when you're doing your sound design, how do you want, you know, do you want to make sure, like, how do you go about not making your sound design clash with the score and how they can be intertwined as one? I think, you know, very much that 
the score comes first because because it's easy for me to find an alternative way around something so if jordan decides that a scene needs music then i will um but everything i do with all the sound is to make sure that it it is some way you know a happy cousin of the score so if a sound design has a tonality to it in a, a, a wind pitch or anything like that then uh, i'm going to make sure it's discordant if that's useful or or you know or, or if it sounds harmonious if that's going to be useful then so there's a lot of work that will be done around making sure the um the, you know the sound design respects very much what the score is doing and i think what was really helpful was that um, because i think the score does work counterintuitively in this film in quite a few instances and i think it was really helpful that michael came down to we would have the meetings where he would present his work for the last few days or whatever we would often have them actually on the mix stage at universal i was lucky to be there for like three or four months and so during that process michael would come down maybe once or twice a week and we'd all sit there and essentially he was playing it to jordan and and you know i would keep quiet and listen but he would really understand he would then be hearing my sound design work in progress and not just on a stereo track that he got sent to you know so he could listen to his thing he was listening to it in the mixing theater and he'd be like wow this is pretty immersive yeah so so if i leave a gap where you're going to make the thing the whole sound go silent then that would be great and i'd be like yeah man that'd be really <laughs> really really perfect so so I would say more than in many, many a film that I've done, there was a huge amount of, you know, back and forth on uh, respect for kind of, you know, this may be your bit that you'll want to cover and 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 this is what we're trying to do here. So, so yeah, I think it all worked incredibly well. But but mostly I would say the score has primacy and, it, and it's up to me to make sure that, that I'll, I'll bend all the other sound that's reasonably easy to change around that with the only caveat that that pretty much obviously i can only do sound that is diegetic i can only do sound that pro that probably has come from the shot whereas michael could choose to play anything he wants and it's still you know viable score for the film when you're hearing that like because it sounds like it was all a very close collaboration with each other and then also how frequently meeting up with one another to sort of go through it in person rather than over zoom because I guess you could always get lost in translation with how you're dealing with one another or somebody could just say, oh, tweak that just a little bit there and you could do it straight away. Mm. Um, and then they can kind of take that in. The interesting point that you make as well about how the score comes first over the sound design and how that you don't want to overshadow it. But then, <laughs> but also there is certain elements where, I don't know, both will need to come out of play at the same time and then in, without so, overshadowing one another, but they... <laughs> Good yeah. thing about that is I get, I get to do the the mix at the end where I play with all the individual elements of his score and you know adjust it to uh, yeah to to make like in like in the in the run when OJ lures Jean Jacket down the the main middle of the valley and there's a lot of uh, myself and um, and Snacky Brett Pierce is his name the the music editor um, choosing to to mute certain elements of the score in order to allow, say, for example, the horse's hooves not to clash with the percussion when you're close to the horse, or 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 to um, mute the horn part of the score when we were having Jean Jacket making a similar noise, all that sort of stuff. But anyway, sorry, I kind of cut you off in a train of thought because I got excited about how no, much no, fun no, um, film is. I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to get cut off because there's always going to be some bit of information that's. Uh, going to come to light that uh, sometimes people think of. But whilst you're mentioning about doing the final bits for, for the score and the uh, sound mixing, were you ever tempted just to lower the score and put the sound design up just a little bit, <laughs> just so that it's uh, even... No, yeah, I always do that after he's gone. There's always a few dBs adjustment. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's... I mean, Hollywood films are mixed loud anyway, right? So you, if uh, I'm sitting in an enormous room at Universal and if I'm not pumping all the speakers when there's some big action on the screen in a blockbuster movie that's going to play in IMAX and Dolby Atmos then I'm then I'm getting something wrong so probably more than it's probably more about just making sure something's playing loud rather than rather than turning anything up or down I guess but um but yeah no I know what you mean it's uh yeah it's awfully sneaky because also I was the 
sole re-recording mixer and sound designer and supervising sound editor, which normally is a role shared by three people. But it was because of the fact that I was on the project for a bit over a year and a half that I could do so much of the sound editing and design work up front to buy myself the time to kind of mix it later. So, but yeah, the downside of that is you've got the bloke who did the sound design capable of turning his work louder. Whereas, and I know a lot, a lot of, um, you know, very sensible, uh, far more professional than me, sound designers would abdicate from mixing perhaps solely for that reason, or at least if they are going to mix the film, they'll choose to mix the score level rather than their design works to give someone else the autonomy on, you know, basically killing their babies as, as the film phrase goes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I never heard that phrase before. But no, I think as well, if you have, if you're, because obviously you're uh, multi-talented, that the, you know, having the ability to do all of that, but then also starting earlier on, you kind of, I guess you're there every step of the way and being, having that as your baby and looking after it early. So just to lead to my last question, uh, what's next for you? So I have two projects on the go currently. One of them is the, uh, incredible Jonathan Glazer's follow-up to Under the Skin, which is a, um, well, it's rather harrowing, but it's uh, it's the book Zone of Interest by Martin Amos, and it's set in Auschwitz in, in the war. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's a telling of that story that he, he's adapted the book. And it's one that uses sound incredibly informatively in, you know, throughout the narrative of the story. So it's a real... And again, as with all of Jonathan's projects, I've been involved from a very early stage in, in the kind of the planning of it. And there's a lot of sound recording that had to has had to go on alongside the actual picture shoot as a sort of adjunct to it, because there's a need for an awful lot of off-camera sound, shall I say. So that has been keeping me very busy. And also, um, because normally I would, I would focus on one film at a time, but COVID happened and both Jonathan Glazer and Yorgos Lanthimos had, had had two films that were going to run, you know, on successive years, and now they're happening at the same time. So I'm also working on Mr. Yorgos Lanthimos's follow-up to The Favourite, which is called Poor Things. And it's uh, that's another book adaption. And it's basically um, Emma Stone as a sort of version of the Frankenstein story, although not Frankenstein in, in name. But No, that sounds... So, and it's, it's very jolly and, and totally not the same as the Jonathan Glazer film at all. <laughs> so just two polar opposites. But then again, that makes the job fun, right? You don't want to be working on the same sort of material. You want to sort of flex those muscles, but also have something fun, but then also have that dark broodingness as well. Oh, light relief. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important. There's a long winter coming in my sound editing room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Please, it's just the beginning of winter, the worst, worst season winter for me. I, I really dislike it. It can be too long in this country, certainly. It definitely feels like that. Johnny, thank you for coming in hot on the mic and uh, answering my questions and joining me today. Nope is out on digital in the US and it is currently still in cinemas in the UK. So if you still got a chance, go see it. You won't regret it. And yeah, thank still you again, streaming Johnny. streaming in home entertainment Dolby Atmos version. We mixed that too. It's very enjoyable. Well, I, I look forward to streaming in that with, uh, and, um, well, maybe I'll plug in my headphones or get a new sound system just for it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> thank <laughs> you again. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you, Thank you for your Johnny. interest. No, no, no. Thank you for joining me and taking the time to talk to me. Like, really appreciate it. And yeah, take care. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye, bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.